From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, we're talking about fiduciaries. Is it all that important that your advisor adheres to the fiduciary standard? Now, your advisor may already act in your best interest, to your knowledge at least, but is it all that important that the SEC recognizes them as a fiduciary? Michael and Adam talk about that in depth, along with a lot more. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast each and every week. Please email us at podcast at assetbuilder.com with any episode suggestions. Guys, without further ado, let's get to the show. Good afternoon, guys. How are y'all doing today? Doing well. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Adam? I'm awesome. What's up? We're in the office today doing this in person. I like it so much more. You like the office better or over the phone where it's more convenient better? For this? Yeah. I like in the office. I like being able to, it just feels more natural. I like hearing dogs barking, toilets flushing, children <laughs> screaming. Yeah. We'll put that in there just it, to keep it consistent. It gives it a very 2020 feel. That's yeah. true. Well, this is 2021. So That's we're, true. We're past we're in the that. Office today. Yeah. So today we were talking about fiduciaries. Uh, I'm going to field some questions to Michael and Adam and see how smart they can sound. So Good luck. It's afternoon. Low expectations for that. There yeah, we go. Let's just set the bar low ahead of time. Uh, okay, so Michael, what is a, well, let's start with what is a non-fiduciary advisor? What, what is a, in other words, what's a broker? Technically, well, so technically anybody could set up a shop and say, I'm going to give you some financial advice. And uh, I mean, there's some regulatory, you should have series 65, you should be licensed, but there are a wide range of people willing to give you financial advice and sell you financial products. So we've talked about this before. I think there's over 17,000 people who have personal finance blogs. Um, Technically they're giving financial advice. I mean, you know, they're blogging about finance, uh, not necessarily good advice, bad advice. It's just there. There's, uh, the guy who's going to sell you insurance products, whether you need them or not. Uh, he's got a hammer and some nails in his toolkit. So everything looks like it needs a nail. Uh, so that is basically, I mean, there's a whole gamut of people who can be trying to give you financial advice uh, be your CPA, can be an attorney, people who are educated, but not necessarily fiduciaries. They're not necessarily uh, legally obligated to give you the best advice for you. It's just financial advice. But wouldn't they still be compelled to act in your best interest, even though they weren't compelled by a law? I mean, don't you think it's still in their best interest to act in your best interest? Sure. I mean, that depends on how they're incentivized. Yeah. I mean, when you say, so we can get into the whole, you know, uh, repeat business, for instance, if you're, if you're basically ripping people off and giving them bad advice, eventually nobody's going to recommend you. And so somebody could say, well, of course I'm giving good advice. Why would I give bad advice? Mm -hmm. What Adam said, well, maybe you're incentivized to give halfway good advice. So Take a uh, really simple, really simple, uh, should I annuitize this money and take the annuity payout or should I invest the lump sum? 
Well, as a fiduciary, uh, you would have to tell the person what is in their best interest. And what is in their best interest is going to vary from person to person. There's not a single right answer. As a person who is selling annuities, I can convince you that buying this annuity is a good deal for you. As a person who only charges an AUM fee, uh, I could convince you always take the lump sum and let me manage it. The answer, though, is probably going to vary from person to person, and a fiduciary is going to give you uh, an answer that may or may not benefit them financially. They're legally obligated to do so. So, Adam, how does a broker differ from a fiduciary, or did he just answer that? Uh, in a way, I mean, a broker just kind of serves a different purpose. So I okay. would kind of, I, I don't know if I would structure the kind of the, the thought exercise as the okay. anti-fiduciary is a broker. Okay. Um, I okay. think, I think anti, an anti-fiduciary is a non-fiduciary advisor. Okay. Um, a broker is essentially a platform for putting buyers and sellers together. Okay. So that's Robin Hood. That's, you know, Schwab has a broker arm. TD Ameritrade has a broker arm. There are tons of brokers. Um, but all they're really interested in doing is someone wants to sell something, they look for the person who wants to buy that, and they introduce the two together. That's their service. But they don't. a, a broker typically does not get involved in the process of recommending to you how you should manage your money. Um, right. Now, back in the 80s and 90s, you had stockbrokers. And again, this is where kind of the, the need for a fiduciary started to take shape in that all they really wanted to do was move shares because they made a commission on that transaction. So in a sense, by telling you you should buy this, they were, they were kind of in a sideways fashion giving you advice. Right. They were implying this is a good idea or else I wouldn't recommend selling it to you. Mm -hmm. But there was no structure in place that said, you know, this is how we define whether this is advice or not. Uh, right. But in, in today's landscape, I wouldn't necessarily say, like I said, an anti-fiduciary isn't a broker. Um, now, what you need to be aware of, and, and I'm big on looking at how, how people are incentivized, right? Uh, the analogy I would kind of use, like we've all, I mean, a lot of us played sports as little kids, right? We've been on little league teams or soccer teams or whatever. And I mean, me for one, I've, I was always on teams where the coach's kid was on the team also. And oftentimes it just so happens that the coach's kid is, let's say like the, the starting pitcher, right? Okay. Well, it, it's not fair to say that he is the starting pitcher because he's the coach's kid, right? Like he might be the most worthy for the job, mm -hmm. but it's impossible for me as an observer to not ask the question, did the fact that he's the kid of the coach play a role in him getting the most, you know, the fanciest spot on the field, the best spot in the lineup? It's similar with a fiduciary and a non-fiduciary. It's not necessarily possible to prove that a non-fiduciary is giving you advice because it's in their best interest, mm -hmm. but it's also not possible to prove they're not doing that. Gotcha. So mm -hmm. to use the example Michael used, like if it's entirely possible that you know, if I'm selling insurance products, I can recommend an annuity to you and it is the best thing for you. Mm -hmm. But as the person purchasing the annuity, it's impossible to not have to ask yourself the question, is that true? So the purpose of a fiduciary is to remove that doubt. It's to remove that complication of interest and to say, by definition, I know that you're giving me the advice you're giving me for the sole purpose that it is the best advice for me. So what's the, what's the definition of a fiduciary? Actually, you just kind of said it, but you had to expand on it. 
Uh, I should probably just look it up and give you the legal definition. It's it's somebody though who is legally and ethically obligated to act in the best interest of the other party, regardless of whether it benefits them. So somebody comes in and says, Adam, should I fill in the blank, whatever. Mm-hmm. And let's say the guy's got a million bucks and, um, you know, he can invest the million and he can annuitize the million. And for whatever reason, annuitizing the million actually makes more sense. Maybe he's getting a rate that you're like, man, at that and it's inflation adjusted, that's going to allow you to meet all your income needs. Um, this annuity even has some variable thing where if I find out I have Alzheimer's, they kick in an extra 20% to cover my long-term care. You're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And that person may have really bad track record handling market volatility. Yeah. And so Adam would say, and eh, you probably need to annuitize that. By the way, we don't sell annuities. We're not going to recommend an annuity, but well, I mean, it sounds like you've trumped up the amazing annuity. So go with that. Mm-hmm. But but that is the behavior you need to expect from your fiduciary. Um, There's other things like compensation where the fiduciary needs to be fee-based or fee-only, a fee-based or fee-only advisor, uh, shouldn't be earning large parts of their compensation by selling you a product because just because of what Adam said, it opens up the door to, hey, what do I need? Right. and it's not even necessarily about how much. I mean, that's obviously very important, but the when is highly important in terms of when you receive it, when the you compensation, yeah, when the compensation changes yep. hands. So, you know, one of the reasons that I think account or fee based account management is the way to go is because I am, if you are paying an advisor or paying a fiduciary, you're paying them for services that have already been rendered, right? Yep. And typically, because it's a percentage, I am incentivized for you to win. The only way I win is if you win too. And you win at a much greater level than I do. If you pay me up front, what is my incentive to continue providing good service? Right. right? It's not to say there aren't people out there that do it, but it's just that's that's a fact of life is that you have removed the reward, right? And we're all human beings. We're wired for that reward mechanism. You've taken that out of the out of the picture. So once you've been paid up front, which is just kind of another way of saying commission-based products, once you've paid paid up front, my incentive is to not care anymore. What are the other? So you said there's fee-based, and then what were the others? There's commission-based. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a commission-based guy is, is somebody who, if I sell you this product, if you buy this product, I'm going to earn a commission. If you don't buy this product, I'm not going to earn a commission. Okay. Uh, Stockbroker. If you, I call you and I've got a great investment idea. I'm not saying you don't. I mean, you it, it might be a really good investment idea, but I also know you only get paid if I buy whatever it is you're selling. So that's commission commission based. Um, and it's not. I, mean, I want to be really really clear. I have friends who are insurance agents, friends who are brokers, and they're yeah. they're ethical, great guys. They're not fiduciaries. Uh, and they don't really want to be, you know, they're like, Hey, I believe in what I'm selling and I'm comfortable with, with the recommendations that I make. But, um, because of the compensation structure, they can't be a fiduciary, but they're okay with that. So they're out, you know, 
uh, creating products or selling products that have been created for them, selling selling things that that earn them a commission, and by and large, the products they're selling are are valuable to a certain segment of the population. And because they're my friends, I would say that I I trust that they are probably only selling them to people who need those products. Mm-hmm. So um, that's you know, the best case that I can make for somebody being not a fiduciary is I know people who are not fiduciaries who are providing valuable services. I think they would also say, but if you need asset manager, uh, an asset manager, they would point you to me. They would say, I'd go talk to that guy because he knows what he's doing over there. And he has a great sweater. Thanks, man. And he's a fiduciary. <laughs> More important than the great sweater. Yeah. So, so it, it, Give you an example. Uh, I don't know, like four or five years ago, I was jumping rope because I'm young and sprightly and I can jump rope. I came down and pop, something goes pop in my foot and I collapse on the ground. And uh, Adam's never had this experience because he's young. But one of my one of my good friends is a surgeon. He's an orthopedic surgeon. So I called him and I asked him, hey, what house concern should I be? And it was funny because his response to everything is you're old and you shouldn't do this. Meanwhile, he's going to CrossFit too. I don't know why I'm not supposed to do anything that he does, but that's, it's kind of a joke that that's what he's, that's his response to everything. I think if he saw Adam, he probably would say Adam's not old. Maybe, maybe he would operate on Adam, but the rest of us were just old. So I told him, I said, well, my wife has set up an appointment to see this other person. And he says, don't go see that person. They're just going to want to operate. Come see me first. Come see our practice first. So I went in and I saw him and he was like, you're going to need to wear this boots. You're going to, you know, I didn't talk to him talk to somebody else. You're going to need to do this, that, and the other thing. You're going to blah, 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 blah. And as we were talking later, what he told me is this other doctor sees everything as a, you, we, we operate. This is what we do because of the type of practice we are, because of the kind of, you know, we operate. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily true because you're a doctor. You've got a, some sort of Hippocratic oath. Like, I don't think it's as cut and dried as I would have walked in and they would have just started slicing as we're talking. Mm-hmm. But imagine if you can, that you're about to have uh, an operation and they give you the anesthesia and they're wheeling you into an operating room and you look up and the last thing you see before you drowse off to sleep is this operation sponsored by the scalpel maker. <laughs> uh, it would give you a little bit of hesitation. Like, wait a minute, the doctor's being paid by the scalpel person per cut. Like, that's not cool. Like, I want to know that my doctor's just doing what's in my best interest. I'd right. like to know that my doctor isn't getting paid more to do one thing versus the other. Ideally, the doctor would just be paid to make me better. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily how it works, but same thing with a fiduciary. You should know that your fiduciary is just doing what's in your best interest, not what may benefit them more, may not benefit them more. You just want to remove that element of the conversation. Now, being a fiduciary is kind of an assurance that your advisor is going to act in your best interest. Now, is there still ways that they could take advantage of you somehow? Is there still things they can do that you might have to look out for? In other words, you might want to pick this fiduciary over this one because this one does this. Yes, absolutely. What, what's uh, something happens. they can look at? Fraud happens. I mean, 
Yeah. That that's that's a real thing. Um, and that's at the extreme. If you uh, right. if you if you back up to the just the very beginning, are you getting good advice? Are you getting what you're paying for? Right. Mm-hmm. So are are you getting proper allocations? Are you are they uh, proactively reviewing your portfolio? Are they proactively uh, on the bleeding edge of you know? Uh, solutions in the marketplace to get you the advice that you need and the solution that you need at the best possible price. Um, there's all kinds of ways that a fiduciary can fall short of that, of that bar. Um, but I think, you know, I keep hammering on, on how they're incentivized and how they're paid because ultimately you can say all the right things, right? You, you can say I'm a fiduciary, but that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. I mean, are my, my, because the, going into this world, like if you've never invested before, you've never invested with an advisor, or worked with, with an advisor before, I think it's probably best to err on the side of caution. Now, I, I don't want to give you a sense of fear, right? Like our listeners are smart people. I, I would mm-hmm. trust them to make good determinations. But in any situation, especially when you're talking about handing over a large sum of money for somebody to manage, Think it through and just assume, right, your base assumption should be um, this this person will operate in their best interest, like when it comes to um, how they're incentivized. So I want to incentivize them via how I compensate them in a way that makes their best interest the same exact thing as my best interest. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not because I have no faith in humanity or I think everyone's out there to fool somebody. But it's again. Why would I fight against right. against human nature? Like, why yep. wouldn't I just yeah. let that work for everyone, right? And so that's kind of what being a fiduciary does, in my opinion. Not yeah. to say that, that there aren't people out there that fall short of that and make mistakes and and aren't providing good value, but um, I I think that's a different question. The question isn't, you know, are they doing that because it's not in your best interest, or are they just not? the best at their job. Right. <laughs> when you talk about, so if you talked about f- uh, a fiduciary and you said, well, this firm charges me a whole lot, but they have, I have access to CPAs and I have access to JDs and they're going to set up trusts and I'm going to get, you know, and when I walk in, they've got lattes and it's amazing and you get a foot rub. It's just, it's the best experience ever. And what do you pay for that? I don't know, two, 3%, but it's mm-hmm. worth it. These guys are amazing. Okay. That's a decision you make. That guy can be a fiduciary because it's, it's just, we, we charge a lot and we give you a lot of services. Another guy comes in and he's like, I need somebody to do some asset allocation and help me figure out what my asset allocation needs to be. Okay. And we're going to charge you 3%. Wait, what? No, that's not fair. Like, why should I pay you? For just one service. For this service when when I can, I mean, if I want to pay 3%, I'm going to go over there and get the latte and it's woohoo. So that's part of it is like, can you be a fiduciary and still be drastically overcharging people for the services you provide? Sure. Uh, Can you be doing a bad job and be a fiduciary? Of course you can. Like there's people who do bad jobs everywhere. But the, the reality is that the fiduciary, to Adam's point, is still being compensated to do a good job. And so theoretically that person, the the person certainly has no financial incentive to not be doing the best job he can at managing your money because that's how he should be getting paid. It's a much better way to say what I tried to say. 
in five minutes of, of speaking. Well done, Michael. <laughs> so what things should we be looking for when we're looking for a new advisor or a fiduciary? Like what a you know, what should we look out for? What should we look for? Because it's hard to know somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, just as you're on uh, the internet. Yeah, I think if when when you say when you start with I'm looking for an advisor, mm-hmm. I would suggest you start with are they a fiduciary? Yeah. Right. I think that's the number the, the first question you should ask. That should be, you know, if you think about it in terms of like if you're looking at cars in line, you can filter by color or whatever. Right. The first filter you should select are fiduciary. Right. Pull up a list of fiduciaries in your area or online if that's your style whatever um, and start there do fiduciaries cost more than non well we're an example of that no no it's absolutely possible to be a fiduciary and to and to be low cost um, we're very proud to to carry that mantle um, I think there's there is monetary value in being a fiduciary uh, but that doesn't mean that that has to be passed on to your your clients mm-hmm. uh, I think after fiduciary, I think investment philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that's a tough one because not everybody knows. knows or has an investment philosophy depending on your level of experience or your knowledge. And guess what? That's okay. Part of this process is learning about different investment philosophies and being educated on those different philosophies as you meet with prospective advisors. Uh, but just being aware of what those philosophies are, how that will impact your experience, um, you know, if you're someone that loves to watch the market and, and you don't do well when things are volatile, passive might not be the best way to go. Or for that reason, it might be the very best way to go. But it depends on if you're someone that is good at being coached or not. So there's a lot of um, considerations there. But I, I do think that, you know, on a very basic level, their approach to investing and their style of investing needs to resonate with you. Because if it doesn't resonate with you, you won't stay on the path. And the number one predictor for investment success is how well you maintain the course, right? Not panicking. Mm-hmm. So the reason I say that's so important is not because <clears throat> his style is better than her style is better than the other person's style. It's just the more comfortable you are with what's going on, uh, the more likely you are to not do anything that's going to statistically harm your your chances for success long term. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I would say when, when you ask that question, how do you, how do you get paid? Mm-hmm. How do you make money? And what is this going to cost me? Mm-hmm. Those are two good questions to ask because, you know, to, to boil down all the different ways people can get paid, just ask them, how do you get paid? Um, because when I talk to people and they'll say, somebody gave me this great idea. Really? Yeah. They didn't charge me at all. Like they're, they didn't charge me to talk to me and wonder how they get paid. You think they're a charity? Um, probably not. So, you know, asking that question and figuring that out is, I think just, it's going to, it's going to shut down a lot of conversations in your mind, or it's going to open up a lot of additional questions that are worth asking. Perfect. That's all the questions I have. The last question I have is kind of weird. I don't know if it applies. Oh, I love your weird questions, Jared. Well, I don't know if we'll keep this in. I said, um, I said, oh, is being a fiduciary, could being a fiduciary be seen as some sort of marketing ploy? Like, just like being accredited by the BBB or whatever, you know, is it is it just a way for advisors to just gain your trust from a marketing perspective? Like, can someone say so, that? Um, yes, and I think the question is, is that bad? Yeah. I mean, 
Oh, all yeah. things being equal, would I rather have the the company that's not accredited by the BBB or that is accredited by the BBB? Right. The fact that that had a hand in me selecting their services. Yeah. Good on them. Yeah. That was a good decision for their business to go through the steps to get accredited and to maintain that accreditation via handling your business well and professionally. For I mean, so yeah, if it helps us get business, I'm not going to apologize for that for one minute, but that doesn't by default mean it's bad for the customer. Right. Yeah. It's a very good thing for the customer. I would say it's like any other it's any other certification, isn't it? I mean, it's mm-hmm. like did, what's wrong with being a CPA? Nothing. Yeah. The alternative is we're not a fiduciary. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, yeah. So. Cool. Anything else about fiduciaries? Work with one. Yeah. No. I agree with what That's your unbiased said. opinion? That's my unbiased fiduciary based <laughs> opinion. You should work with a fiduciary. Do you want to, did you ever ask us if there, was there ever a situation where you wouldn't work with a fiduciary? Because I can tell you, like we would recommend you have the fiduciary as your quarterback, but like we've told, I've told people you need to go buy life insurance. Yeah. I don't sell life insurance. So go work with somebody who's not a fiduciary, get your life insurance and then come back and, Tell me what you did. Here's some people that I can recommend you talk to. You want to go talk to your own people, go talk to your own people. So there is a case to, there. you know, if somebody said, hey, would you ever work with a non-fiduciary? Yes, and I do. I buy my insurance from them. But I know what I'm getting. So, And it's probably just helpful to point out that it's not, we're not all operating on the honor system here. It's not right. like we just get to say we're a fiduciary and then it's like, well, why? Well, because trust us, we're <laughs> nice guys. No, it's, that's not how it works. We are, our, our feet get held to the fire. You know, we get audited. We happen to be nationally registered. So we're audited. We were, we're regulated by the SEC. Yep. Many firms are regulated by state agencies. Whatever the case is, if you're a fiduciary, when you get audited, which doesn't mean you've done something wrong. That's just, you, you're in business yep. long enough. Mm-hmm. You're going to get randomly selected to be audited. I've been in meetings where SEC folks come in and they say, hey, here's a real life case. Walk me through your thought process, show me the documentation and explain to us how this was in their best interest as opposed to this or this or that. So there are structural things in place that you do have to meet levels of of, uh, business practices to to call yourself a fiduciary. It's not just a club you get to self-nominate. Right. Well, they call that fiduciary standard, right? Yep. Exactly right. Cool. Anything else? That's it. That's all I have. Thank you guys for your time. We'll yeah, see you yeah. next time. All right. Thanks, Jared. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.